the media was constantly pushing the president on the seriousness of the disease, particularly in late February, early March, and the president was dismissing it. Hi, I'm Gina Cerrito, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Lynn White and Judy Licht. We're the News Broads, broads casting about the news and all things media. We're here to give you insights on how it all works. A look at the news you won't find anywhere else. Dan Abrams has to be one of the busiest media multitaskers around today. We all know him as the chief legal affairs correspondent for ABC News, but he also hosts the top-rated show Live PD on the A&E Network. Then, of course, there's the Dan Abrams Show on Sirius XM. And as if that were not enough, he's also written two bestsellers. And his latest book out is John Adams, Under Fire, The Fight for Justice in the Boston Massacre Trial, a story I was not familiar with, but is fascinating. I, I recommend it highly. But he's also the founder and CEO of his own media company, Abrams Media. And it's a number of special interest websites. Uh, but one in particular is of special interest to us news broads. It's a must read for anyone in the media. It's called Mediaite. And uh, as you know, we are all about everything me media. So we read it religiously, Dan. But one thing you wrote last week, you wrote a column which struck us all as really interesting. It was a pan. It was this ode to the media and the job it's done in the COVID crisis. And I wonder what prompted you to, to do it. So it was actually um, clipped from my radio show uh, where I had gotten so many callers. We do a lot of call-in on the radio show. And, you know, there were a lot of people um, blasting the media, meaning the channel I'm on, POTUS channel on Sirius, and politically moderate channel. And so we get callers on both sides of the political aisle. And, you know, there was a lot of the Trump supporting, blaming the media, et cetera. And, you know, so I went back to actually go look at some of the dates for, all right, when did this happen? What was the response then? What was the response in February? What was the president saying, et cetera? And, you know, I, I basically came to the, you could argue, somewhat self-evident conclusion that, the media was constantly pushing the president on the seriousness of the disease, particularly in late February, early March, and the president was dismissing it. And the point that I was making is that I think that actually the media, which the president is obsessed with, played a significant role in pushing him to take this more seriously. Yes, he sort of responds by calling it the fake media, by dismissing it, doesn't matter, et cetera. But he's obsessed with, you know, even the CNNs and the Foxes and the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I think that it was so much of that media coverage of how seriously the media was taking this in late February and early March that helped push this administration towards taking the disease more seriously. And so I just sort of said, look, no one wants to defend the media, right? It's like this entity, it's like Congress, right? Who's going to say, Congress is great? Yeah. No one wants to say that. <laughs> the same way no one wants to say, the media is great. Because you know what? There are a lot of people in the media who aren't great. And yeah. there's a lot of examples of media making mistakes or hyping things or whatever the case may be. But my point was just, if you want to sort of talk about the media as a whole, the bottom line is the mainstream media's coverage of the coronavirus, particularly starting mid-February 
through mid-March was instrumental, I think, in getting us to take this disease so seriously. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I want to pause and point out that you said the mainstream media, because that's a subject we'll get into a little later. But they take, because he calls it the lamestream media, that's the obvious one. But there's a reason for that. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, in the meantime, the media, the media, the media, here we are in boxes, right? The virus has changed the media. How would you say it has? And um, is it good or bad? Well, look, I think that, that finally the media is getting some credit, right? Meaning, you know, the, if you ask people before this um, about the approval rating for the media or the mainstream media, it was in the 20s or teens. Um, and now, uh, at least in the latest poll that I saw, it was something like 54% of Americans supported the media's coverage of this. So, so I think that this is the sort of event that the media is is good at uh and it's hard to sort of peg the media as being you know politicized meaning you know you hear president trump suggesting that some of these democratic uh, uh governors and the media are like conspiring and the question then is to do what meaning to keep the states closed longer because that will be what how will that help the Democratic governors in those states politically. There's yeah. no political advantage to keeping the states closed longer. So my point is, this is a good opportunity for the media to do the kind of fact checking, the media to have the kind of experts on hand that the public doesn't have access to, to say, hey, uh, here are some answers to the questions you have, to put it into perspective. And so I think that this has been you know, a, a very important and I think generally positive moment for the media. Yeah, I agree. And that's one of the things that we were talking about is um, before you came on, we were talking about the subject and having you on is that one of the things that we've noticed um, changing in the media are the participants. So here we have, you know, media who can't go into the hospitals and they're giving their phones to the doctors. And we're wondering, maybe that is helping give them a little more credit that they're out there doing these jobs and, and working with the people that are actually making the stories? Totally. I mean, look, what people forget is we talk about the first responders, right? And they're the first and foremost people we have to talk about. And I mean that beyond just people who are in the hospitals. I mean, even the police officers and firefighters. Um, and then you've got the people who are the essential uh, workers who have to uh, go to work, uh, sanitation workers, um, delivery people, truck drivers, people like who are going to work. I know no one wants to throw the media in there with them uh, because everyone loves to hate the media. But the bottom line is there are journalists who are contracting the disease as a result of covering it because they had to be there at the hospital on the scene because they wanted to be able to talk about what is actually happening at these hospitals. And those members of the media in particular um, deserve credit for, for doing the hard work while you know the rest of us, so to speak, stay at home to stay away from it. Many members of the media are going right into the heart of it to be able to tell the story. Also the way 
that media is now presented has changed. I mean, you have everybody in their houses reporting without professional makeup for the most part. And a lot of people seem to be relating to this. It's almost cozier. And I know the editor of Mother Jones, not that I read it as much as I read media, but <laughs> um, she said, you know, people like it. It's authentic. It's more democratic. You know, will this change going forward, do you think? I mean, let's not forget that that there's going to be less money around for a lot of media. I mean, advertising will be down. The economy is going to be down. This is cheaper. It's easier. Um, do you think this will be more the norm? I think we've been moving in the media more towards authenticity anyway. You know, I've been a, I've been a believer for a long time that one of the ways the media could bolster its credibility is to be more transparent, meaning, you know, a reporter who's covering a beat, and I, this, is, this is heresy for, for what I'm about to say for, for journalism schools, but to disclose what they think about the topic so people can judge their coverage accordingly. It's not that easy to do, but I think it's very helpful. Like on my radio show, I always say to people, look, I voted for this person, I voted for that person, this is where I stand politically. You know, judge me accordingly. Um, so it, I think that can actually be helpful, and it's going to the, the same point you're making, which is about real, uh, authentic, who am I? Um, um, so I, I think you are going to see that continuing to move. But look, I think that, that we will be back in many ways to where we were at some point in the future uh, on the, this sort of media. I don't think you're going to suddenly see all these people, you know, saying, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to, uh, I'll just do it from home, right. et cetera. I mean, I'm not going to say that it makes or breaks a new show, but, you know, it definitely has a better vibe. I mean, look, if the three, if the four of us were sitting in a room together, it would be more comfortable. It would be easier to have a conversation yeah. than it is for us to be looking at boxes. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it'll morph into something like that, a, a hybrid of this maybe? I think that I think that the that the higher end media operations will be more accepting of you know of Skype interviews, remote interviews. We've already been moving in that direction a bit. I think it probably will push um, a little bit more. And in particular, as as you know, as you pointed out before, when it comes to cost cutting, I think that you know the the media organizations are really going to have to think about hmm, is it worth um, you know and these days you don't have to send a satellite truck, right? You can yeah. just, you know, you, you can do, you can send them to a studio or you can, you know, send a little device um, which allows you to, to, um, to stream from someone's home. But all those things cost money. And, and there's an argument that it might just be easier in many cases to say, ah, that's all right, we'll just do it via Skype. So one of the uh, previous News Broads episodes that we had, we interviewed Andrew Hayward, who was the former president of CBS News for 11 years. And he's been working recently trying to figure out how do we, you know, local TV is starting to maybe see the end. Um, local newspapers are having a hard time making it. And he's been trying to figure out a way that this can still exist and, and still be important and make money. And, uh, you know, one of the things we're wondering is maybe this is what he couldn't predict Maybe this coronavirus and everyone home and, and trying these new medias is something that can save maybe local news, maybe um, local TV, local newspapers. You know, 
I, I don't think it's going to solve the problem. I mean, I think that, look, the problem with local news and local newspapers generally has been that they are so embedded in the old school of doing things that it really is hard to, to break out of it. And when I mean that, I don't just mean it in terms of a mindset. I also mean economically. Um, you know, when they're used to, you know, when people say, well, you know, they should just adopt digital. But yeah, that's easier said than done, meaning that the, the digital will pay pennies on the dollar compared to what they're making in ad dollars uh, in a print paper, or most particularly on a you know a local news uh, channel. So so it's very easy to say that they'll be able to adapt. Um, you know I think it's going to be tough. I think that there's going to have to be sort of fundamental transformation, or that you know the networks are going to make the decision on the television side that it's important enough to effectively subsidize it, which I don't think is going to happen. No. You know, I think a lot of the websites, the online newspapers are trying to find their way and what's going to work financially for them. And I noticed your site, I just uh, signed on to it, has gone to a paywall, which has been quite successful for a lot of people. But I think the thing that we're wondering, we've discussed this among us as journalists, is does that create a bit of a divide between those who can afford the paywall and those who cannot? In other words, I want to read everything you've got going, but I can't afford that extra $20 or $30 a month. So am I getting uh, the short shrift on this? Because right. I can't afford it. So, so just the media I pay wall is $4.99 a month. Uh, and it's $47. <laughs> yeah, $47 for a year. So, you know, I think that for the people who are reading our site, and one of the things about a site like Mediaite, and this goes to the fundamental questions about digital media, we have a lot of people who come every day, yeah. multiple times a day, to see what, what <laughs> to see what we have. And so, so the front page traffic at Mediaite is actually much more significant than at almost any other site, political site out there, because so many people are just coming to see what do you got. Right. And that puts us in a kind of enviable position. So we've been debating and discussing, well, should we just have a, a subscription service, which basically says if you come more than five times a month uh, or 10 times a month or whatever it is, you've got to subscribe. Um, and we decided so far not to go that route and instead to, um, you know, put up a lot of a, a lot of pop up reminders. If you've right. been there more than five times uh, or whatever the number is per month to say, hey, We'd love for you to subscribe and you can get some additional content. Look, I think that the places that are charging the big bucks, the Wall Street Journal, for example, yeah. um, the people who sign up for the Wall Street Journal tend to be doing it on a corporate account. That's why the Wall Street Journal um, business model works so well online. The reason that the New York Times and Washington Post uh, subscription services have worked so well as of late is because of Donald Trump. I mean, let's be clear. It's because we're in the Trump administration and people are, you know, obsessed, starving for investigative pieces, information, et cetera. I think that without Trump, and this is one area where Trump is absolutely right, that, you know, if Joe Biden is president in 2021, people are going to be a lot less interested in politics. Does that mean that the right 
isn't going to bash Biden. No, we're going to be back to kind of Obama level interest, I think, in politics and the media, et cetera. But but Trump is something else. And well, and yeah. that's the reason I think that these subscription services have worked so well. Well, he, you know, the Sturm and Drang always works. It stirs things up a bit. But the question, the larger question um, is, Going forward, given that the best journalism, frankly, is being done where there's paywall, the, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, media, but, you know, where they're really, well, all right. But the, I mean, look, media is not doing the same kind of journalism. No. I'm very proud of what media is doing, but I would never say media is doing the same thing as the New York Times, the Washington Post, or even the Atlantic. Yeah. I was just sucking up, to be honest. No, no, you. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. the point is that with all the really serious journalism, only where there's a paywall can they afford to, to hire, keep the staffs, to do the investigative reporting. So, and with, the, with the, a lot of the sites like BuzzFeed or, or um, HuffPo, they've been cutting back because it turns out their business models are not so hot. You can't really depend on advertising. Probably left. As is, if people who can't afford or are just not interested because they're not intellectually stimulated enough, go by what's on the free websites, which is not going to be good journalism. Or in the case of the free journalists like Fox or CNN, um, they're more superficial in the kind of reporting they do. They're, you know, um, are we creating? more of a divide in this country um, and adding to the political divide. I mean, it's not a question anyone's blaming anybody for. It's just a sort of what's going on here? What, what are the potential outcome for this? Yeah, look, I, I think that sort of the haves have nots when it comes to, you know, the handful of, of media entities that have paywalls for any number of stories is not a sort of macro concern uh, of mine. Um, meaning that, you know, yes, it, it does mean that certain people aren't going to be able to access stories in the New York Times after, I forget what the number is, five or ten free stories per month. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I can tell you that, you know, Mediate and The Hill and Politico uh, will all aggregate some big story from the New York Times, uh, a big investigative piece. One of the things that that does really well on Mediate is there'll be some really long investigative piece on the New York Times and, and Mediate will say, we'll do a story on the top five takeaways from the New York Times blockbuster story on blank. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, it's the equivalent or it can substitute for it. But I don't think, you know, of all the things we have to worry about right now, I don't think that sort of the cost of paywalls excluding people from having information is going to be uh, a major concern. Actually, so I have a question. Sorry, go ahead, Judy. No, no, it's, it's just, I, I read in the paper today, I read in a paper, get that, um, that in Australia, um, they just passed a ruling that Google and Facebook have to pay for all the news that they get from news sources, which I think is a really good thing. Yeah, I mean, look, it, we'll have to see you know, I mean, look, it becomes a question of what does that mean, right? Google's a little different than Facebook. I, I didn't see that, but, but on Facebook, for example, um, you know, if someone is sharing a story in their, in their, does that mean that they can't share a news story? 
Um, yeah. I assume not. I assume it's talking about Facebook news um, and maybe for Google news as well, that, that it means that they would have to, to pay. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting, um, you know, it, it, it is an interesting question because there's no doubt that Google both gets it for free, but also sends us tons of traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So we can't not be in business with Google. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. So Jude. the the um, speaking of kind of how you get your news and and how people are getting news, you have yourself run a lot of personalized web uh, uh, specialized websites. Do you think that is a new way for people who are just interested in one thing to go get it, or maybe this is kind of the new way of magazines? Um, what was what really made you open up all these different specialized websites? So I, I don't think there's any question that things are becoming more nicheified. Right. I mean, yes, there's going to be the, you know, the Washington Post for politics and New York Times is going to have a little bit of everything, et cetera. But 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 I think that the media is moving more towards, you know, uh, on demand. Uh, this is a topic or an area that I'm specifically interested in. I mean, I'll give you an example in my own life, which is, you know, I started my career at Court TV. Court TV went through a number of um uh, machinations, a number of, uh, um, iterations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, there were just a number of, of sort of ways that court TV ended up existing. Lynn, I think you were there, yeah, uh, there for, for a while. Well. One of them with Henry Schleip. Our right. Friend. Right. So, 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 and, and then, and, and then it ended because there wasn't enough of a kind of a mass audience for it. And yet I decided to start this network called long crime network, which is, basically uh, what Court TV used to do um, a few years ago, A&E invested in it. And the reason it works today, even though it didn't work back then, is because there is more of uh, an appetite and um, the ability for a niche entity to thrive Absolutely. in a way that it couldn't thrive uh, before. I think that also applies uh, to the web as well, which is the key thing for any website you gotta have your audience. And that was my point about Mediaite, of having this, you know, a, so many people coming back every day to see what do you have multiple times a day. That's the way that a website really thrives. And look, and I've had a few busts on websites that I've started because I thought that they were great ideas, but for whatever reason, um, you know, I didn't get that audience that I needed. And the only way we were getting traffic is from referral, right? Someone linked to it. Okay, great. Okay, good. This is going to mean more people are coming and then more people weren't coming. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, uh, but that's the key. Yeah. And now we're heading into a presidential election, the final lap of it anyway, in the age of coronavirus. What's the media coverage do you think are going to look like with this new norm we have? Well, look, the, the media coverage, I think, is going to be obsessive, right? Because the public is obsessed uh, with this particular presidential campaign. I don't think we've, we've gotten yet to the, you know, the, the point where we will soon see where it will be almost ubiquitous, um, the coverage of the campaign. You know, one of the things I would say to people in uh, getting distribution for the Law and Crime Network is, look, in the old days, if there was a big trial the cable networks would break in and they would cover the trial. I said, these days in the era of Trump, that's not gonna happen, yeah. particularly leading up to the election. There's gonna be no breaking in for trials. 
It's going to be all coverage of this campaign. Um, and I think that once the coronavirus coverage fades a little bit, and I think that regardless of what happens with stay-at-home orders, et cetera, we are going to see a reduction in the amount of, of media coverage of coronavirus, I think starting even in a couple of weeks from now. Um, you're going to start to see coverage of the other stories that, that were in the news, but increasingly it's just going to be campaign, politics, Trump versus Biden, et cetera. Well, we really <laughs> one fun thing to another. <laughs> well, we really look forward to reading about it on media. That's for sure. And again, we want to tell you that the book John Adams Under Fire: The Fight for Justice in the Boston Massacre File is one hell of a read. And congratulations on it. And thank you so much for being with us today, Dan. We really thank you guys for having me. So good Great to see you all. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. You've been listening to the News Broads with Gina Cerrito. Lynn White and Judy Licht. Our producer is David Levin and audio mixing by Barry Hirschberg.